Hello and welcome. Here I am with my friend, Lisa Murray, who is an unconventional mix of the magical, mystical, and entrepreneurial. Lisa has been creating businesses since she was eight. She's written two books so far, Stop Waiting, Start Creating, and Living Beyond Burnout, which is the one we'll be focusing on today and created over 150 courses, retreats, life events globally, focusing on creating your body of work intuitively, harmonious well-being and awakening brilliance. She also offers self-healing frequency devices globally via her family business. Personally, I've met Lisa some years ago and according to her bio, have participated in some of her courses. And thoroughly, in, uh, what really clicked for me is, uh, was her creativity. That she was so motivated and driven by her creativity, that was informing everything for her. And I learned a lot from her. So today, we are talking about burnout, as I already said. And I would like to start with the question to Lisa is, what are signs of burnout? Ooh. <laughs> how did you <laughs> notice you were burned out? Oh, oh my gosh. Well, how did I notice? Because I couldn't speak. I couldn't think. I couldn't talk. I could barely get out of bed. I was sitting in my office crying. That was the worst one, though. Um, I think there's a lot of signs that come before those things, you know. Okay, would you mind talking about them? Because people yeah. might like a heads up a little bit earlier before. They yeah, yeah, that. for sure. <laughs> it's not good when you get to the end sort of signs. <laughs> Look, you know, I, I want to put a caveat on what I'm about to say, actually, because sometimes we call things what they're not. So sometimes what looks, so sometimes a set of symptoms can look like multiple things. That's what I'm trying to say. So burnout, nervous system dysfunction, um, occasionally depression can, or, or certainly a dark night of the soul can all in some ways have similar presentations on the surface. So mm -hmm. I, I want to just put that up front. So don't assume you've got burnout if I talk about these particular symptoms because there may be something else going on. That's a process of discovery that people need to go through, you know. So I think, you know, the early signs are a lack of enthusiasm. Okay. Like what I notice is if you just can't get enthusiastic about virtually anything in your life, then you've got to start going, well, where did my energy go? You know, what, what's going on that my energy is not present here with me um of course there's physical symptoms like the tiredness you know and the not wanting to do things on weekends because you're so tired all you can do is rest on your couch you know and a lot of people have that and think it's normal and, and I think you know we need to just say here that there's a lot of things that have been you know put into the bucket of normal that aren't normal yeah. and that should never have become normal but yeah. because we live in a world where money is, you know, the focus, let's just say that, the focus. Um, a lot of things have been called normal that are not. You know, like if you go right back in history, 
We were meant to work three or four hours a day to sustain ourselves and then to actually enjoy the rest of our life. What a novel idea. Yeah, well, I think it's right. (laughs) I'm literally like, we need to be bringing this back right now, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and there's lots of other subtle signs of burnout. You know, brain fog can be another one, but you know, brain fog can be hormonal, brain fog can be. 20 other things. So so it really is important to make sure you're you're on the right diagnosis, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get you. Um when we talk about burnout, um there is this sluggish, overworked, no mm-hmm. energy uh image that usually comes up. How do you start healing? from burnout and Mm. uh could you talk a little bit about self-care because for me reading Mm. your book and Mm. being a little bit informed about the subject that is a major part of prevent uh healing from Mm. and then preventing burnout yeah it is yeah, look, I mean, of course, I write a whole book about how you heal from it, right? So we're not going to cover that in 20 seconds or less. But look, what I would say is that there is a physical, um, physiological, probably is a better word, side to it, like nutrition and things like that, nervous system, that I didn't go into in the book because that wasn't my expertise at the time. And then there's a very... Um, like mind body based yeah. sort of approach of which self-care is one thing but I, I do want to mention the others as well and then I'll go deeper into the self-care okay. because I think that it's important to mention all four things that I talked about in the book so there's self-care but not self-care as you know the media presents it to us there's change because inevitably in any situation of burnout it's our body bringing us to a point of saying this can't go on we have to do something different Mm -hmm. and that can be small differences or very big differences um there's creativity which i just think is core to living you know and of course when we lose our creative energy we're losing our life force energy yeah and um and now I'm thinking there's, oh, I know the other one, of course. Yeah, I'm thinking it's a while since I wrote that book, you know. Um, there's living and working in your brilliance. And, and I think this is also really key because that's your soul happiness, you know. that's The creativity and the brilliance are really about your soul joy. And if you don't have that, you, you're basically working on willpower. And if you're using willpower to live and to create at some point that runs out you know because you're wrecking your adrenals in essence <laughs> so when you work from your brilliance from your creativity you know from a platform of good self-care and of course whatever changes are required because often you know our body's just like hey hey you're not listening to me so I'm going to like really make you listen and that's why it you know puts in place the things that it does So if we talk about self-care, you know, when I first had burnout, it was not spoken about. No one was talking about it. I didn't even, the very first time I had burnout, I was 27 and I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't know of it. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And in fact, the first and the second burnouts, 
I didn't have a name for it. I was just like, okay, there's something wrong and I need to change some things. But I didn't know what was mm-hmm. going on. And then the third time was bad enough that I went to the doctor and I got a bit of more information. And then I was like, oh, I see. So self-care, of course, you know, it's not really massages and facials. And yep. I'm going to say, you know, in the beginning I of the third burnout, I was getting massages weekly because my body ached so badly. I had really wrecked it pretty full on and it ached so badly I was getting massages because it was helping. But I was also aware that it wasn't fixing it. It was taking the edge off the intensity, right? Yeah. And so when we look at self-care as a preventative measure, we need to look at what gives us energy, okay? Mm-hmm. And what we're told will give us energy and what we what actually gives us energy are two different <laughs> things. And it's very interesting. Just this week I started a course in quantum biology, which is all about light, so sunlight and how light affects us, circadian rhythms, all that kind of stuff, and, the you know, the food and how we get energy and light from the food we eat yeah that's it all of that and it's fascinating and I'm like if I knew this before I had burnout I might never have gotten burnout right Mm -hmm. so I do think you know and I haven't written about that in the book because you know I'm only coming then well I've come there in a roundabout way for a few years but I'm seriously in it now so we need to look at what gives us energy and what takes away energy And we need to basically change those two things. And I think it's really interesting because what takes away energy can often be our work or the people that we live with or, you know, (laughs) I hate to say it, but those, those things where we spend big blocks of time is often where we notice there's, you know, energy being taken away. But what we need to look at is that so a lot of that comes back to, for example, boundaries. Now, boundaries, good boundaries, Uh, self-care you know and for so many of us particularly I think people who are naturally empathic naturally intuitive quite sensitive quite aware you know what people need and you have a desire to give it to them so you do but that has to be a circle it can't just be a line where you give and they take (laughs) or it has to be a two-way road and not a one-way road Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it necessarily has to be linear, you know, but it's certainly you need to have, you know, things where you receive. And I think, you know, there's, you know, when when you look at a type A personality that's very driven, you know, and and it comes and that was me, you know, comes as a shock when all of a sudden you can't do what you've always done. And and I think a lot of that is nervous system dysregulation underneath it actually the more I've come to explore different things and you know I've seen that so getting really good nervous system care is good self-care you know um earthing is really good self-care because you're literally connecting both with the light and with the um with the earth and those two things give your body a lot so we're not necessarily having to receive only from people we can receive from the earth we can receive from the light you know, we can receive from the water we drink many different ways. The food. Food, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Animals, you know, like I went and worked with these beautiful horses yesterday. One of them had had something very horrible happen to her. I'm not going to go into the details because it really is quite distressing. And these horses were panicked. And it was really interesting to see that 
whilst I was giving them a lot because I was doing some healing and, you know, working with the land and the trees to smooth out, you know, the, the trauma that had occurred, they were also giving me a lot even in that state, you know. And I think we forget there's so many places we can receive from besides that one person that we think should do what we want, you know. <laughs> and yeah. sorry, yeah, I just want to say one more thing because a lot of people are working in environments that are very toxic yeah. and very um, inhuman in many ways. The expectations are ridiculous and, you know, like take the medical system, you know, so many doctors, like my dad was in hospital for six weeks before Christmas and the doctors were doing back-to-back 12-hour shifts day in, day out, you know, because there wasn't enough staff. Now, we, you know, could have a whole other theory about that, but we won't. And the reality is, though, that there are many people placed in environments because of their chosen career where the system doesn't work or the system works against them. And so then it be, self-care then becomes about advocating and it becomes about making choices for yourself that, you know, like maybe you take a few breaths between your clients. Now there's many, many different things you can do that literally will allow you to manage the situation better. And at some point you might just go, well, hell, you know, I could spend all my energy managing a tough situation or I could spend my energy getting myself a new situation, you know, and that's what I did. I, I left the environment I was in, which was quite toxic, and I um, created a new life. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Still and is. One thing that I wanted to bring in because that came up for me when, when you were talking is how much are we willing to receive? Because yeah, that well, is something I have had to learn to allow to be gifted. Self is the woman. You need to be in charge. Do it. And that's not self-care. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing is, that is an interesting question about how much are we willing to receive and are we willing to receive and are we willing to ask? You know, because when, when I, up until that time when I left the corporate world, I wasn't willing to ask. I would suffer yeah. in silence. And, and I also think, though, none of us are here to receive abuse and to receive, you know, inappropriate behaviour. Yes. That's where boundaries come in, you know, yep. and I want to be very clear about that because there's so many people that take the receiving to a ridiculous place and it's actually quite dysfunctional at that point. You know, any extreme polarity can become dysfunctional. Let's put it that way. And there is a correlation uh, between setting boundaries and the quality of connection. Well, the boundaries are not you can't do this. The boundaries are if you do this, this will be the outcome from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so literally um, it shows you very clearly who you want in your life and who you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that can be a bit confronting at times because often there's someone who thought you thought loved you, but they only loved you because you said yes all the time because you were acquiescent to their needs and desires and requests. Exactly. And when you stop being acquiescent because that's your self-care, um, sometimes those dynamics change very, very much. And 
that is something I feel as women, we have to learn especially. Because oh. the way I grew up was, was you are expected to take care of everybody else. And then if you're lucky, there is something for you somewhere down there the line. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I think a lot of us in our age have that sort of upbringing. And I think it is changing slowly but surely, you know, culturally. Um, yeah. But we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Because, you know, part of that is having other people be willing to look after themselves. You know, and rely. because there's a lot of people expecting that someone else will do it for them. Yeah. You know, by hierarchy or by, you know, unspoken agreement, lots of different ways there. And yeah. so, yeah, it's interesting when you start to actually unpack all of that because it's a, a, a big societal change, I think, that's occurring through women choosing to put themselves first and not. And, and I want to say that that's not selfish because literally if your cup is not overflowing, you're stealing from yourself and when you give to others. The, the yeah. analogy I, usually, uh, I often use is if you want to give somebody something to drink and the cup is empty, it's not really very helpful. No, that's it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, of course, if you're giving it when it's half full, then it's going to get empty quite quickly. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. you know, I think this when we go go back to what I said about the three or four hours a day to work, people gave from their surplus at that time. You know, there was a sense of community and people literally all gave to each other from their surplus. And, in fact, <clears throat> excuse me, where I'm living right now, that's how it's working. It's really interesting. There's, you know, a family and then there's me. And they're very generative and contributory. And so they have surplus. And then as I start growing more things, I will have surplus. And we, and also in energy and time and insights, we give to each other, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting sort of place that we find ourselves in, I think, you know, in 2024, where a lot of what we've done in the past is simply not working anymore. And we have to change it and we have to come up with new ways and sometimes those new ways are new new ways and sometimes they're new old ways that worked really well but somehow fell by the wayside new can i say new old old ways not Sorry? the old way <laughs> yeah well yes yes exactly the the ways where people originally yeah. worked and created in community i think yeah. you know yeah. that's and really what i'm referring to yeah and we have such a wrong connotation about the hunter-gatherers. Oh, they had to work all day really hard just to survive. <laughs> and that no, is exactly do. where you, they worked for a few hours and then sat in community, enjoying yeah. each other, supporting each other, exchanging and being with each other. Yeah. It is. And, you know, this is the disconnection of the society we live in now. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed, particularly in this last two years, how strong the impetus is in me to seek local community, you know, because for a long while, as you know, I was traveling a lot and, you know, I was, I had community all over the world and it was great and I really enjoyed it. But I am also so aware that during that time, I built very little local community. 
Yeah. And I'm very much finding how nourishing it is actually to meet local people. Like even at the quantum biology course yesterday, there wasn't many people there, but the people that were there were absolutely amazing. And I was like, oh, isn't this because it was live. It was an in-person event. And interestingly, what um, Kate, who's leading the course, what she was saying is that, you know, it's the quantum entanglements of meeting eye to eye, not through a screen where it's it creates something and that's why she made our first meeting in person and i i really do believe there's a lot of that and there's this been a much bigger disconnection in these last few years and we need to then start to rebuild that but not only through work we need to rebuild it um in terms of creating the world we want to create and that's a very different kind of connection yeah I hear, I hear you. What uh, initially when I talked about how do you heal uh, change? Mm. Change is mm. almost a negative word. Mm. It is. Because we need to be in control. We need to stay the same. It needs to be predictable. And how can people have ease or more ease with change yeah well it's a good question um and you know it's funny because I my last jobs probably the last three or four years where I you know worked in the corporate I was doing a lot of change management and I, I remember being shocked at how much people detested change because for me my whole life had been changed and I loved it right because for me change was about creating something greater finding a better way but for these people they equated change with loss and, yeah. and, and you know, even if you said to them, but, you know, there's all these other possibilities, you could have something better. They were like, no, 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 I don't believe you. I'm not having it. I want it exactly as it is right now. And I think, you know, when I worked in the corporate world, I thought I had a great life. And then when I got out of it and I got through the burnout, I realised that there was much better life to be had <laughs> and I've been creating it ever since. And I think this is the thing with change is we have to realise that what we've got is not the best we can have, you know, and that even if we lose some things, they're going to be things that actually ultimately are going to lead us to better things. So that would be one part of it. Now, there's also very much a somatic nervous system, body-oriented part of it, you know. And, like, I truly think most people in the world need some support with their nervous system at this point just because of the insanity yeah. of what we've gone through, you know. And when I say the insanity of what we've gone through, I mean for the last 50 years, you know, when you start to look at how many controls have been put in place and how much limitation has been put in place so that people don't have experiences and adventures and don't actually go out on a limb and try something new because of the judgment, you know, there's mm -hmm. immense amounts of judgment in the world yeah. for trying something new. And, you know, I've always been a good experimenter. I love to experiment. I love to work out a new way to do something. And so for me, that was very shut down until I realized that I was only stopping myself because of the judgment. And that was judgment of self. And that was judgment from others and I had to work through quite a process in letting go of that like making that at all meaningful in any form mm -hmm. and that 
then allowed me to have a lot of freedom, a, a, you know, true freedom, as opposed to the freedom we think we've got if we've got money or we've got a house or whatever it is we think equates to freedom. I think that's also a key word, what you just said, is what are we defining as freedom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how much freedom is actually possible and how much freedom are we allowed to have by the structures that are put around us to keep us mm. boxed in yeah and you know that's totally a personal choice because mm-hmm. what I know is I'm free on the inside and yeah. so the outside whatever I don't really um I don't take that much notice of it actually (laughs) in all honesty because my view is that freedom comes from our inner strength and our inner awareness of what's true and I know that you can argue that nothing's true everything's true all those things but like we have to go to a space of well what's true for me you know and what's true for me may not be true for you and that's fine but we should also not be curtailing each other's truths and freedoms. You know, there should be choice. Yeah, to be an allowance of you having a different kind of truth than I have. And it's as valid as mine. Yeah, yeah. And you know, what creates an incredible life of freedom for one person would feel like hell to another, you know? Could, and, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge that we just have to get to the truth of our own freedom, you know. And as a collective, we're coming more and more close to that as well because, you know, what we've been told is true is, of course, not true in many, many ways. And that meant that we placed ourselves in boxes and so if we've placed ourselves in a box because we thought something was true, the moment we acknowledge, actually, I don't know if that thing was true, we take ourselves out of the box and then we've got yeah. a whole range of different choices, you know. And that goes for whether you've got burnout and, you you know, you thought, like, I will never forget in one of my very early jobs, this woman saying, if I don't go home exhausted at night, I haven't done enough. And I remember looking at her going, what (laughs) like I was confused she was in her early 30s and I was just like that's not what life's about you know she basically her her barometer was going home so exhausted that you couldn't do anything else meant you'd done a good day's work and see these are the boxes that we place ourselves in (laughs) and that we can also take ourselves out of them sometimes we have to retrain ourselves a little bit but we can take ourselves out of them yeah and it also means becoming aware of what is working for you how are you responding to what is going on around you and adapting accordingly Mm. yeah what about brilliance you mentioned brilliance Mm -hmm. acknowledge your own brilliance Mm. we can't be brilliant then we are selfish, then we're arrogant, is so often the association. Uh, Mm. So how 
do you know uh, or what experience do you have in getting over that uh, self-limitation that we put on ourselves in order to not be too brilliant and offend somebody else? <laughs> you know, I love that question because I think that was a very core theme in my early life because I, like, you know, I'm naturally smart. I'm naturally very aware. And I I would have people say the most ridiculous things to me. So on one hand, people would be judging me for being too smart. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, I would have other people judging me for not getting, you know, 10 out of 10 for spelling, right? Oh. And so as a child, and so this happens for all of us in some form, right? Mm-hmm. Now, my problem was the too much, too little, you know, what's the right answer? That was my form. But I see it with people where, you know, um, especially for people who maybe aren't academically brilliant, but they're gifted in many other ways, you know, like you might be gifted in listening to the sounds of the land and the forest and the animals. Mm -hmm. And, or you might be gifted in some very technical, mathematical, you know, engineering type thing. Like, you know, my landlord, she is not academic at all, but she's super smart and she could build pretty much anything. She works things out. And I love watching her because I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that capacity to physically build things that, that mm-hmm. work. You know, even craft for me, things never look like they should from what my mind thought, you know. And so... I think what's really important to acknowledge with brilliance is that we are all infinitely brilliant and we are all infinitely brilliant in different ways. And so it's not about fitting everyone again into that one box of academia, you know, because I've worked in those environments and I can see that they're more about getting people to fit into a box than they are about unleashing people's true natural brilliance. And this is a passion of mine. I love it, you know, when people come to me and they are poking around the edges of, well, what is my brilliance and how am I going to bring it to the world, you know. And later this year I'm going to um, offer a program that's really all about creating your body of work because Mm -hmm. I feel like when you start to really own your brilliance and acknowledge the diversity of it, as well because we you know there's a lot of um and, and for some people it is quite a narrow path but for other people it's a very broad path you know and when we start to play with that and look at well what is it for us then so much is generated in the world that wouldn't be there otherwise you know if I hadn't discovered that I have a gift with animals and horses then I couldn't have helped my friend yesterday you know <laughs> and so And and I think that's another part of the brilliance equation that we need to think about too because people equate it with what's my purpose and how am I going to get paid for it? And there's nothing wrong with those questions. However, what if you're willing to be brilliant in every moment and what if you don't have to get paid for everything and what if you can literally just let it be there and flow so that it's available in the moment that it's needed? And... What you just said, if you let it flow, money 
that we so often expect is part of an energy flow. So it may not come from that person, but it may come from over here because yes. of the brilliance. But yeah, the energy absolutely. overall is flowing and it's not that stagnating, stuck uh, yeah. process. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been told we live in a linear world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, of course, you know, big business and, you know, all the those big companies, let's just call it, it's not only business, it's the non-profit stuff too, they try to make everything linear. Like I can remember when I worked for a university going through the most ridiculous strategic planning processes and, you know, it was all so complex and it didn't leave room for anyone's brilliance to emerge because you were so focused on what was the next thing you said you'd do that you haven't done yet that you're going to get in trouble for because you didn't do it by the time you said right? And there's nothing flowing in that. And it was one of the reasons I couldn't, you know, mm -hmm. the burnout happened to me because I'm naturally a person who flows and I couldn't work in that highly structured environment where there was no room for creative flow, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think that environment is actually very important for a lot of people not everyone necessarily but for a lot of people environment is important does it allow you to flow does it allow you to bring through that one piece that comes out of this field that you just know you know with the one business I worked for about six or seven months just because there was some complexity to the back end of the business that you know, we weren't in control of and it, it just needed to be unraveled and made simple for people. And I did a lot of work behind the scenes to do that. And and I was answering a lot of people's questions because I was learning as I went and I was I was really kind of trying to piece together, well, what is this this magic thing I've got and how, how is it really working? And, you know, <laughs> and and I wasn't really getting paid that much for all the work that I was doing, you know. It was pretty... It wasn't because it wasn't a job. I was just doing it out of curiosity and interest. And then someone, and I was running, um, I was running like a market stall. And someone used to come each week and she'd talk to me. And one week she said, you know, she said, find out what it takes to be a stockist. She said, I'm curious. And I found out. And then I said to myself, and, and I realized she wouldn't want to do it because she's, you know, a lady who's a little bit getting on in years. And I knew that physically it was going to be more than she would probably want to take on. But I said to my sister, you know, this is really interesting. This is how you become a stockist. This is what it takes. You know, maybe we should look at it. And so we talked about it. We talked with my brother and then we talked with my parents because we realised we needed a bit of funding, you know, and, and we all ended up creating a family partnership. Now, if you'd said to me at the start of that year, create a family partnership and build this business, I would have just been like, no, you can F off. I don't want to do that. You know, like that would be my logic brain, right? Yeah. But because I've gone on this journey and I'd also made a lot of connections, when we launched that business, it launched with an absolute boom, you know, and mm -hmm. we did very well very quickly. And that was very interesting to me that, A, business did not have to be hard, that, B, things could just come to you. And I'd had an awareness for two years before that the things that I needed to focus on were products and healing, but I couldn't work out what that meant. And there it was all in one little nice little package landed in my lap, right? 
And so this is what happens when we allow the flow and when we allow our brilliance, because it is my brilliance to unpack things and work out how they work, right, in that sort of way. And so I'd gotten, I was in my brilliance, just wasn't getting paid for it, but then we got paid very well for it, you know. So if you're willing to be nonlinear, then brilliance is the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) And what I'm hearing, listening to you, is in being willing to explore, we discover so many possibilities that we might not discover any other way. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it... Honestly, the the curiosity, like I think creativity and curiosity for me go hand in hand. You Mm -hmm. can't really separate them because if you're not curious, your creativity is going to be very limited to basically what I would call creative thinking, which is some kind of logical creativity that I never had much affinity with personally, you know. But even like where I'm living now, now I'm going to start a business with them. And that came about through a really surprising set of circumstances. And it's fully aligned with everything else I'm doing. And she's going to use her brilliance and I'm going to use mine, you know? Yeah. And so I didn't expect that when I came to live here. I just wanted to live here because there was horses and land and I was loving it, you know? So it's really quite interesting how things evolve and emerge if you're not in control. Because I wasn't trying to create anything or control anything I was literally I'm showing up here for the best life I can live but that also requires some call it introspection contemplation time to get clear on what is for you the best life you can live or, yeah, I'm going to say yes and. Okay. Um, that's one way to go about it. Absolutely. What you've just described is one way to go about it. And there's always a part of that within me that is thinking about, well, what do I want, you know? And mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to live on land and I knew I'd love to live near horses. And I also know that I hate mowing, right? And mm-hmm. I'm in this place where I don't have to do any mowing. <laughs> well, you have a mower. <laughs> well, there is mowers, but even in my own private no, little I section, mean, they uh, it's a horse or a sheep or a goat. Yes, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. But then there's still mowing to do. Like there's lots of horses here, and there's still lots of okay. mowing, right? So the thing is, though, that so yes, there is introspection, but I think more so than that. That's a part of it, and it's an important part. You need courage because you need courage to do something different you know back to what we're talking about with change you need courage to go I don't know how this is going to work but my heart and my soul and my being and my body tells me it's going to work so I'm going to take that leap and I'm going to allow the universe to show me that doesn't mean you sit on your ass and do nothing you know (laughs) um it means that you are connected, actually, with the environment around you. 
you know, and you're connected with the energies of what it is you desire for yeah. a great life. See, I've known that stuff for a long time. I've been very clear for a long time on what the energetic looks like and to some degree the external. But what I find is every time I just get really comfortable and cozy and go, oh, this is fantastic, something comes along, upends it all, and I have to go and create another great life, <laughs> right? And what it's shown me is that it's not really about the external circumstances. It's what am I willing to be and know and connect with and create that would allow that great life to emerge from the pickup stick. You know, have you ever played that game, pickup sticks? Bit like that, you know. Let's yeah. let's pick up the sticks. <laughs> yeah. So, so literally, you know, I think that we get scared because we're we've over time been put into these smaller and smaller boxes of these are the rules and this is how it all works and just follow the rules and you'll be okay yeah. you know and yet that's not true because we can be really good we can do all the right things and our life can still get fully upended you know whether that be through illness or you know whatever there's whatever, many different whatever, things yeah. that can occur and so I, I i feel it's really important to just cultivate courage you know and that happens in many, many different ways. Like on the weekend, last weekend, the weekend before, I was wading through a creek where I couldn't see the bottom and that always creeps me out, right? Like because I just really, I don't like eels and I don't like things touching me when I can't see the bottom of the water. And yet I was literally like, well, I could sit on the edge and be pathetic or I could wade through the creek and have an adventure. And that's what I did. And nothing touched me. And I actually had a really good time and it was beautiful, right? And because we were basically walking between two areas of the creek. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely beautiful. And so I would have missed out on that beauty if I gave in to, oh, my God, I can't see the bottom and I'm creeped out, <laughs> you know. So, so courage comes along in many small ways. And if you take the small ways, when you need it for something bigger, it will be there. It's sort of training ground. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. And courage uh, uh, and from no creativity is actually coming out of chaos. Yes. Not out of order. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. I mean, look at permaculture. That's a really good example of that. Mm, you know, yeah. the creation of a self-sustaining garden does not come out of order, all the lettuces lined up in a row. It comes out of everything in the melting pot, in the garden bed together, yeah. sitting next to their friends, interestingly enough, right, and all growing together. Mm-hmm. And And I think people forget that, You'll change, but so will the people around you because we're all catalysts for that. Yeah. And if we open to that change and we pave a path, you know, it's our path, right? And it doesn't mean other people have to follow our path. You know, they've got their own path. But if you see other people paving their own path, what does it give you? Inspiration, right? Exactly. And in some ways, courage, because you go, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Yep. So 
wondering, we touched pretty much on on every of the major parts of your book. Can we talk a little bit about staying in the flow, being willing to change, using my brilliance, I am ultimately creating my future. And in mm -hmm. doing that, right now, uh, what is required is creating not only my future, but creating a collective, a global future, because so many systems are breaking down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always said that Burnout is a transformational process. It's yeah. literally the phoenix rising from the ashes, you know. And so, yeah, when you look at it from that perspective, if we can let go gracefully, because so much of the time we're clinging on, like it always reminds me of, you know, in a creek bed, all the little leeches clinging on, even though the stream's trying to take them downstream, there's all these little leeches clinging on. Clinging on. And I'm like, they'd probably get exactly what they wanted if they'd just let go, you know. And mm -hmm. so often, because, you know, while they're clinging on, they can't find something to sustain themselves, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think the first thing really what you're asking about is how do we let go gracefully because it's, it's not easy because, you know, the more... Um, what would I say? The more you've been trained to focus on the outcome, the less easy it is to let go. Because here I, I am, I've lined up all my outcomes, I've achieved all my goals, I'm getting through my bucket list, right? And yet life is inviting you to something else. <laughs> and, and I, you know, this is one of the things where I think I've been out on a limb for a long time is that I'm much more interested in the process than the result because it's in the process that creation occurs. It's not in the result. The result is just one possible outcome. And people use the results as the proving of, you know, their wealth, their goodness, their virtue, their whatever it might be. They use the results but actually what your soul is concerned with is the process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think when you say about creating a new earth, you know, that's on the surface a very big ask. And particularly right now where so many people are, you know, in, in difficult situations. And I think the key to all of this is what's the one step forward I can make today? You know, in my worst times, and there's been quite a few, not only burnout, um, it was literally what's the one step forward I can take today, you know? And that goes whether you're sorting out the biggest pile of office paperwork you've ever seen in your life and you're like, how did it ever end up like this, Lisa? <laughs> Why the heck or did I box that all up and put it in the garage? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whether it's, oh, my God, I don't know where I'm going to live next week. You know, mm. like it doesn't really matter what the scale of this. It It's what's the one thing I can do right now that would move me forward. And, of course, that means you needed some kind of definition of forward. 
you know. And so that's about really knowing how you desire the future to be. And and I want to just maybe make a note here that, you know, there's a lot of people in the world in very difficult circumstances right now and circumstances yeah. not of their own choice. choice. Let's yeah. say that. And for those people, that one step forward might be to love themselves a little more, to love the people around them a little bit more, you know. Mm -hmm. It might be to appreciate the sunshine because we underestimate um, the small things. Well, I call them small. They're not really small, but we underestimate the simple things. That's a better way to describe it. Yeah. We overvalue big things. And if we would actually... And, and we overvalue complex things as well. And if we would literally flip that, we would probably a lot further into the new earth than any of us imagine. That is absolutely true, yeah. I mean, ultimately, how much am I willing to come from my heart? Yeah. And put that out towards anybody, anything, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter and that's right. where you were talking about earlier about even though with the horses how much came back to you yeah it's that putting the heart energy out in whichever form is required in the moment yeah pays dividend yeah. incredible dividends yeah well you know what came back to me was the absolute joy that they weren't going to be stuck in that freeze state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Um, because they were a little bit frozen. They would only go, it's a very big paddock that they've got, and they would only go up behind one set of trees because they were scared. And this morning my friend sent me a message saying, oh, they, they, they're, they're roaming around the paddock this morning, you know. So what comes back to us is so much bigger than the surface level, you know, whatever it is that we judge things by. And, and I've seen this over and over and over, you know. Like if we are open to receiving the good things, I'm going to say, because, you know, people are very practised at receiving the bad things and dealing with them, in all honesty. Yeah. And they're not so practised at receiving the good things, the beautiful things, the magical things, the ease, the flow, the creativity. You know, it's we were living in a rental crisis here and have been for some years now on the Sunshine Coast, like, and, and really in, in a lot of Australia, but particularly here. It's like the place in Australia where everyone wants to live. And when my mum and dad came home because they were, were away for a few months and I was house-sitting for them, I was like, okay, it's time for me to move. And dad was in hospital. We were driving to the hospital every day, twice a day, you know, an hour away and back. And I was like, I'd really like to move because I knew that, I, I mean, I love my parents, but I don't want to live with them. And um, I saw this place on Facebook and she was like, adjustment, like horses, you can come and live here if you've got a horse. And I was like, hmm. I don't have a horse, but I'd really like to have one. And um, I wonder what's possible. So I rang her up and we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and realised we got on like a house on fire. 
And she had to go through her process, but two weeks later, I'm here without a horse. Right? So, and it's the absolutely the right place for me to be at this point. I can mm-hmm. feel it in many, many different ways. Now, this is the flow that occurs when you don't make anything real. So I didn't make real her demand for someone to have a horse. And as it turns out, she's just had someone come in and adjust their horse, so that makes up for that income, you know, that I wouldn't have given her basically. And I've got horses to play with now, which is marvellous. I go and pat them every Mm -hmm. morning. But if I'd made her parameters real, then this would never have occurred. And also if I had pushed against her parameters, it wouldn't have occurred. Yeah. All I did was say, I don't have a horse right now. I'm very interested in having one, which is true, and I'm still not ruling it out at some point, you know, in the next year or two. And I would love to be around the horses and I would love to contribute to what's going on on your property, you know, mm-hmm. and we had a bigger conversation than that, but that was the core of it. Yeah. And so magic became possible. What I desired became possible. And, in fact, she's also got some things that she desired through me. So this is what I would call the quantum entanglements of flow. Yeah. Right? Because it's not linear. And we all have what we think we want. We should keep our minds out of it largely. But I just saw the ad and my body was like, yeah, there's your place. It was just a straight out, that's my place. And it took two or three weeks. And this has happened for me before. It takes sometimes a couple of weeks for the person to realise that I'm their person. And then it just all comes together and it's really easy, you know? Yeah. So that's how I think creative flow works. And it's It's really... A loose desire. A loose desire to have whatever it is you want. And then somehow if you observe the universe very closely, it begins to deliver it and you've got to say yes to those moments. That is important, yeah, to say yes, to be willing to receive the support from the universe. Well, I could have decided that I couldn't call her because I didn't meet her list. Yeah. And then who knows what would have happened, but, yeah. And that's a difference, I think, between head, the thinking that we are so used to, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, in our culture's prime real estate and the heart where we feel the energy, where there is that, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's the body. It is the heart and it's the rest of the body. Like I notice my body gives me Mm -hmm. a forward momentum. It gives me the next place to go forward, you know, and because I'll find my body doing things. Like literally this morning I was cleaning up like crazy because it's been a mess for a couple of weeks because I did think I'd go through all the office paperwork and I hadn't finished. And then I'm like, okay, today's the day. I'm going to clean it all up. And But it was my body's impetus. And so what that means is my body's getting ready for the next thing, right, whatever the next thing is. But my brain, like if I tried to, to fix up all that stuff out of my brain, my willpower, it's not there. Yeah. And. I I saw somebody talk about, you know, training your brain to get willpower and resist 
what you shouldn't be doing. And I was just <laughs> sounds like hard work. I said, it? yeah, it works for you, and I know you do it. And it no, it doesn't work for me. No. The energy mm -hmm. needs to be there for me yeah. to follow that, to to go in that direction. And then the second thing is, am I willing to trust the universe? Yeah. Well, trust the universe and trust yourself. Yeah. That no matter what shows up, you're going to have whatever you need to keep going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But see, people love to plan themselves into exhaustion, I'm going to say. And I, <laughs> and it's really okay, funny, right? yeah. Because this year I'm going to run three businesses, which is a lot by any standards. And, you know, two of them I'll have partners in, so it's not all on me, but the third one for now is still just me. And so I did do a rough just three-month this is where I'd like to sort of, you know, these are the things that probably need attention in this three months. And it took me quite a bit of time because there's a lot of moving parts and and each business is in a different phase, you know, so they all yeah. require different kinds of things. And and I, I stayed up till 10 o'clock doing it. I don't usually do that. I don't usually do it on the computer, but that was just what happened that day. And the next day I went to my craniosacral therapist who is also trauma trained, such a magic mix, let me tell you, and he said, have you been getting headaches? And I said, oh, actually, now that you mention it, my head's a bit foggy today. He said, hmm. I said, oh, I said, I, I can tell you it's the overwhelm of my plan. And he told me that if we fill up our brains too much, if we actually put too much thinking in there, the, the physical brain can feel bruised. Hmm. Right? And I'm thinking... Because when I lost my capacity to talk properly with the burnout, that last burnout mm -hmm. that was really huge, I think this is what happened. There was so much in my head that there was no space for language. Because what undid that was painting walls. I was literally painting my house because I had a small amount of physical energy and it didn't take much for me to do that. And But it unwound my brain. And when he told me this, I was so astonished because I'd never heard of that before. And I would trust that he's right because he's super educated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is the problem with too much thinking, right, is we, in essence, are physically harming our brains. And then we go to the other side of not enough feeling, sensing in our hearts, and we're damaging our hearts through that too. And I've, I've heard somebody talk about that the heart actually has a brain. It's a second brain. Yes, totally. And the difference between is that our gray matter uh, includes judgment versus the heart thinking has absolutely no judgment. Yeah, I would believe that. That's how it works for me. I never thought of it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think the biggest task of these coming years is to move the priority from the head brain to the heart brain. Yeah. And not only that, to join them because you need both. You need your right side of your brain and you need your left side of your brain. You know, if you're working out how to travel from A to B, like in a car, you need 
the left side of your brain to be lefting and writing and, you know, doing those kinds of things. But if you want to know what it is you desire out of life, then you need to allow your heart and your right brain to form a very strong connection. Yeah. And that's, I think, a danger we are in right now with the either or thinking and not the and thinking because what is the benefit of both sides the one side and then the other and how do they work together yeah instead of saying oh i just toss you away you are bad yeah yeah well you know the more i learn about the human body the more astonished i get in terms of everything is there for something Mm -hmm. And the moment we demonize any part of it, then we are in a place where we're stopping it from working cohesively. And this is the same in the outer world as well. Yeah. 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 So I want to ask you, do you have any closing announcements, stuff that is coming up that Mm. I can put into the show notes? (laughs) that people who will even just without listening they listen to it and then they go into the show notes just scroll scroll down to the link yeah okay well there's a couple of things so and they're not there today but they'll be there very soon um the living beyond burnout book the audio book of that will be on my website soon so if people want to get that they'll be able to for a very small amount of money um and it'll be as a private podcast so you'll just be able to play it in any podcast player that you use basically okay um and then i do have a course for the dark night of the soul so for the people who are like i think i'm more in a dark night of the soul than a burnout and i know we didn't go into the differences of that but you know on the website that stuff will be a bit clear um there's a course that is just there to support you in moving through it rather than getting stuck in it because I think that's very it's a big risk to get stuck in the dark night of the soul sometimes we can get stuck because we just don't know how to get that little tiny bit of momentum and not through force and push but through allowing and then of course there will be the illuminary way which is the course or actually I don't know if it's a course I don't know what it is yet about you know creating your body of work which is the awakening brilliance part so they're probably the main three things I'm focused on for the next few months and um yeah I will send you links for sure but if not people could just go to lisamurray.co and whatever's current will be there so you know if you're listening to this three years from now could have changed my mind (laughs) um is it lisamurray.co.au no, no, just okay. CO. Just to, yeah. to make to make clear, because a lot of the Australian websites have the dot AU. Yeah, no. Line. Good. Okay. Thank yeah. you Thank so you. much for a invigorating, enlightening conversation, Lisa. And I look forward to maybe working together with you or at least one way or the other, stay in touch. Yeah, lovely. Well, good to speak with you again. Beautiful. Thank you for having me on your show. Take care. Bye-bye.